Amen. The royal family is the message, the text, Matthew 12, 46 through 50. Jesus still speaking to the multitudes is how it begins. So the context is that in 1222, Jesus uh, delivered a man from demon possession. That's in the backdrop still. The man was blind and mute. We, t- we talked about how he could be a picture of the nation, blind to the things of God, not speaking the praises of God. And Jesus delivered him and talk began On the good side, people were saying, he's got to be the Messiah, right? Who else can do stuff like this? And the religious leadership was saying, no, he cast out demons by the power of Satan. Jesus responded to those accusations with arguments we've already covered. But then they asked Jesus for an additional sign. Give us a sign that we might believe. He was doing signs left and right. He'd just done the exorcism of a demon-possessed man right in front of them. So he said, I'm not giving you a sign. You'll get one. You'll get the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the sea monster three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three three nights. Now, you all know he's pointing to his death and his resurrection in the imagery of Jonah. As Jonah went into the fish, was there, prayed, and then vomited up onto the land, a picture of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. If you want an additional sign, here's the one you're going to get. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, and it's going to be the ultimate sign. And the question that hangs out there is, will you believe when that happens? And of course, we know that many still would not believe. So Jesus is still speaking. Whatever the summary comments are, We're not sure, but he's addressing the multitudes and all of a sudden, mama and brother show up. Someone said to him, your mom's outside. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in my 50s and that makes me nervous. (laughs) Anybody else? Your mother's looking for you. Now, mama had come with Jesus's brothers and we'll talk about this in a second and we'll talk about why they came. And word comes to Jesus, your mom and your, your brothers are outside. And Jesus is, of course, busy about the father's business. And his response to them is somewhat surprising because he essentially disavows them. Remember when he was 12 and he had disappeared from the caravan at the time of Passover and mom and dad were, you know, nervously looking around. Where is he? Where is he? We lost God's son. Talk about a problem, right? But they went back and they found him where? In the temple. And he was asking questions and going back and forth with the religious leadership and really blowing their minds with his wisdom when he was 12. And mama came and said, don't you know, you know, we were upset and wondering where you were. And he said, didn't you know where I would be? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house or about my father's business? Can you see that he's beginning to distance himself from his earthly uh, relationships? Not that those didn't matter, because obviously Jesus would never break a commandment. He would honor his father and his mother. But he's showing that he came for one specific purpose. He always did those things that pleased the father. He was walking in the perfect will of the Father. He didn't say one thing, do one thing without the Father telling him to do it and the power of the Holy Spirit present in him. The Trinity was at work in the person of the Messiah. And mom and brothers came and they wanted an audience with him. 
And they were standing outside. Standing outside, in my view, is a fitting metaphor for where they are spiritually at the moment. John 7, 5, if you're a note taker, says, even his brothers weren't believing in him. John 7, 5. And it is quite possible that at this moment in Jesus's earthly ministry, his mom may not be saved either in the sense of salvation at that point in biblical history. You say, how is that possible? Mary, who had the angelic visitor, Gabriel, Mary, who got the Annunciation and visited Elizabeth and all those early events in Matthew and Luke, and then the visit of the shepherds and the wise men, and she knew he was the Messiah. The, the uh, events in the temple with Simeon and Anna, surely she knew who he was. She knew he was the Messiah, but did she know he was God in human flesh? I don't know. You gotta realize that we have a full Bible right now, and we look back with a completed Bible at these events. They didn't have that. They had, obviously, some direct revelation from God, but that's really what they had, and it was not always easy, even for the disciples who were with him for three and a half years as he taught to put all the pieces together. Remember, they still lacked understanding. So we don't know where Mary was, but we know for sure the brothers were not believers at this point. And this brings up some issues about his natural family. They're standing on the outside. Later, Jesus will tell a parable of a wedding feast and the bridegroom is getting ready to come and remember there's 10 virgins and half of them have oil in their lamps and half do not. And so the half that do not have to go and get oil and they go and get it and they show up at the wedding and they're knocking and they're saying, let us in, let us in. And the the picture is the son of man, the bridegroom opens the door, they're outside and he says, I don't know who you are. And they don't get in. Here's, here's what's going on. Even if you were part of Jesus's natural earthly family, if you did not exercise faith in Messiah, you would not be saved. And this will walk itself out to the nation of Israel. Being a Jew by ethnicity does not save your soul. It's not human pedigree. It is not family connections. It's not my grandpa was a pastor, therefore I'm gonna get in. No, it's individual salvation. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, amen? Or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So this is what is going on. And of course, the assumption among the religious leadership is that they were in because they were sons of Abraham. And even John the Baptist said, God can create from these stones children for Abraham. Don't think you're getting in just because you have an ancestral connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the way it works. And even in Jesus's family right now, they're on the outside looking in. Now, here's the good news. That will change. Mary will end up at the foot of the cross Jesus will give care of her to John. In Acts 1.14, if you're taking, a, if taking notes, Acts 1.14, Mary, his mother, is in the upper room with the early church along with his brothers, and we might assume his sisters. So the family was part of the early church in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. So that's the good news. But for a while, they were in unbelief. Here's one quick example. In 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse seven, Jesus makes a post-resurrection appearance to James. 
James was his half-brother, because Jesus was virgin-born, of course. James became the leader of the Jerusalem church, but it would appear that James only believed after that resurrection appearance of Jesus. And then he leads the Jerusalem church, and he writes a letter, the book of James. And James's brother is Jude, who writes Jude, one chapter right before the book of Revelation. Two brothers who write New Testament letters. They're, they're technically half-brothers, right? But Jesus had an earthly family. And these issues raise a lot of questions, especially for those who were reared in Roman Catholicism. Because in Roman Catholic circles, which I grew up in as an Italian Roman Catholic, they teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. What does that mean, Pastor Michael? That means the church's dogma, not scripture, but dogma, says that Mary never had intimacy with Joseph. Jesus was born, and she was always a virgin from that point forward. So she never had intimate relations with uh, Joseph, and then she was assumed or ascended into heaven. And you start to hear some of this stuff, frankly, folks, with all due respect to our Roman Catholic friends. And it, it, it almost seems like they're elevating Mary to a co Redeemer, or what's called a co-redemptrix uh, place. It's, it's very scary, in fact. And uh, because of that, many Roman Catholic scholars have said, flip ahead to Matthew 13, let me show you. They, they say that passages like this don't really mean that Jesus had siblings. Go to Matthew 13. We're on the heels of um, following Jesus' seven kingdom parables just a peek ahead, notice what happens. This is Matthew 13, 54. Jesus came to his hometown, Nazareth. He began teaching, 13, 54, in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? That would be Joseph. We're not sure if Joseph has died at this point. He doesn't seem to show up in a lot of these places as we see in scripture. Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Now you can see there's James and Jude who wrote New Testament letters and there's more because there's also sisters in verse 56. Now here's what Roman Catholic scholars do in order to protect the perpetual virginity of Mary doctrine. They say these were cousins. They're not literal brothers and sisters because they can't have Mary having relations with Joseph. I'll just tell you this, that that is clearly disingenuous to the text. It's reading a prior position into the text because Mary is mentioned along with Jesus's siblings right in these verses. A direct connection from mom to the siblings. This is not cousins. This is directly saying that Jesus had literal brothers and sisters. And for a Christian, this is not a problem because we're not trying to protect some doctrine about Mary, but sadly, not all, but many in the Roman Catholic Church are. And it's because Mary has been elevated to an unhealthy place in many Roman Catholic circles, not all. Pope John Paul II, on the inner part of his robe, uh, had words like this, Mary, I am forever yours. Some of you grew up with the prayer, Hail Mary. Yeah, and, you know, the prayer goes on 
to say, pray for us sinners now and to the hour of our death. Now, here's, here's what some in both Catholic and Orthodox circles say. They say, well, you know, we ask other Christians to pray for us, so why not ask saints, especially Jesus's mom, to pray for us? What's wrong with that? Well, the Bible nowhere instructs that we should ask dead saints to pray for us. There's not one Bible passage that teaches that. And even assuming that Mary could pray for us, imagine all the people all around the world that are praying to Mary. Someone in Brazil and Ukraine praying simultaneously. Doesn't that require that Mary would have to have divine qualities? Wouldn't she have to be omniscient? We don't know that anyone dead could hear anything that we do or say. Some of us are glad about that, <laughs> but we won't go there right now. But the point is this. We have no instruction anywhere in the Bible to pray to dead saints. In fact, it borders on an occult practice called necromancy, which is calling upon the dead. Now, I don't want to push this too far because I know people in good conscience, at least in what they understand, uh, do these things. I want to give you just one Scary prayer. If this is the morning consecration to Mary. You can find this on Catholic websites. My queen, my mother, I offer myself entirely to thee. And to show my devotion to thee, I offer uh, thee this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am thine own, keep me, guard me as thy property and possession. Amen. I'm telling you, brethren, that makes my skin crawl. And I don't think that that's what Mary would want, is that her son would be dishonored because there's one God and one mediator between God and man, that is the man, Christ Jesus. Let me just say this with all due respect and not trying to bash, that if you have a Jesus that is not the New Testament Jesus, you have a different Jesus. Now, here's what people say. They say, Oh, you should pray to Mary because Jesus would never turn down a request from his mama. That's what they say. Never turn her down. So go to her because then you'll be able to get to him. Now, did you just read the text with me? He distances himself from his mother, essentially disavowing his, that she's got some special place or he's got a first commitment to her. I don't think it's gonna do you any good to go to his mama. And frankly, this is just something that's been made up by man's tradition and a lot of wasted prayers just to be, to speak the truth in love have gone up for no reason. It will do you absolutely no good and potentially even be dishonoring to God who never instructed us to pray through Mary. So there, there is a lot that could be said about this. Um, there is a, another prayer that is called the memo rare. Here's what it says. Remember, O, mo o most gracious Virgin Mary, that then never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, we fly to you. O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother, to you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your mercy hear and answer us. Close quote. No, brethren, no. 
That's not how we pray, and that's not to whom we pray. And again, I say it with all due respect, having grown up in this system, this is simply just Catholic dogma. And the, the passage right in front of us shows you that Jesus did not just go with the flow of what his mom requested of him. In fact, he points to his disciples as his actual family and his mothers and brothers and sisters. And we might ask the question, why does he do that? What's going on? Let me show you what's going on. Turn over to Mark. It's the next book to your right. Mark chapter three. This account is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what's called the Synoptic Gospels. Let me show you so you can see the setting again. Mark chapter three. Um, look at verse 31. You can see if you just pick up in the immediate setting, it's the same context, same back and forth. And his mother and brothers, Mark 3.31, arrived. Standing outside, they, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, if you go back to verse 21, you can see the original arrival and, and the motivation. He came home. The crowds gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own 21 people or his own family heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he's lost his senses. Now, Mark gives us an insight that Matthew doesn't, that the family of Jesus was motivated by concern. On the positive side, we might say this. Maybe they heard he was in direct uh, opposition with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Maybe they heard people were seeking to destroy him. Maybe his Jewish mom heard he hadn't eaten for a while. Any Jewish mother. What? You mean he hasn't eaten? You got to eat. Now, I have an Italian mother. She's right on the front row. We celebrated her birthday last week. And I will tell you, in Italian circles, eating is next to godliness. <laughs> and eating everything that's on your plate with a manja, manja, manja. And if you don't manja... You're in trouble. Curses may come down on you. We don't know what might happen. You got to eat. What do you mean? You haven't eaten? And I will tell you, my mother is the best Italian cook on the planet, so I'm always happy to eat, and she's always happy to feed me, as you can tell by my wonderful <laughs> slim appearance up here. Anyway. So maybe the, on the positive side, they were trying to do a sort of intervention. You know what, we better get him out of there. He's in harm's way. This has gone too far. You know, he was being talked about everywhere. Miraculous signs, you guys all know, but the family probably was just doing family type things, right? Like, we better, he needs some R&R. &R. He hasn't been eating, dot, dot, dot. Okay, that's the positive side. On the negative side, it appears they thought he had lost it. It appears that his family thought that he had kind of lost his way or lost his senses. Some say that the, the original language here means that they were gonna take him custody because he was not in his, in, in his right mind. Literally, that's the original language. To take him custody, to do an intervention because he wasn't in his right mind. Now, that's why Jesus responded the way that he did. His family was there for what they thought was a good reason. 
but it wasn't a God reason. Reminiscent of when Peter pulls Jesus aside in Matthew 16 and says, Lord, none of that stuff you've been talking about is ever going to happen to you. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not concerned about the things of God, but the things of man. And while the things of man in this context are, you know, we can understand them. They're under, understandable, the family concerns. Jesus came to do the will of his father, not the will of his earthly family. They're standing outside. They don't get it. And Jesus will not be pulled away from the pulpit to entertain their concerns, nor will he be upended from the work that he came to do. His sole purpose, I have food that you don't even know about. Did he go buy bread in the village? The, the disciples are always, you know, it seems like it's a, a comedy half the time. Where'd he get bread? No, no. I have bread you don't know about. My food is to do my father's will and finish the work that he's given me. I'm not gonna be upended by anyone who gets me off track with that divine plan. Amen? And that's what was happening. And with all due respect to sometimes our immediate family, sometimes they think some of you are off your rocker. What do you mean you go to Bible study on Friday night? What do you mean you go to church twice a week? Isn't the national average 1.5 times? What is 1.5 times a month going to church? It's being halfway there on one of the Sundays, which totally makes sense to me <laughs> from this pulpit, because some of you I watch. <laughs> you get some of your best sleep in here, don't you? you? Take that personally. All right, keep flipping your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I want you to go to Romans chapter two. I want to give you an insight about the book of Romans. It is quite possible in the book of Romans that Paul is directly addressing Jewish people. If you see the book through that lens, you might get a little better understanding. Now take a look. This is a, just a couple of examples of some of these insights from the natural to the spiritual. Romans 2.28. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision, Romans 2.28, that which is outward in the flesh. If you think that being part of the covenant community is a family heritage or some outward religious ritual, you're wrong. But he is a Jew who is one what? Inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Skip ahead to Romans chapter nine. Romans nine is the famous debate passage about election. And I'll just say this to you. The election in Romans chapter nine, in my view, with all due respect to our reformed brothers and sisters, is the election of Israel, not individual election. Romans nine, right after talking about Israel, he says, but it is not verse six, though, as though the word of God has failed. Because the question is, what happened to Israel? Why aren't they believing in Jesus? For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Here's the bottom line. Paul is saying, if you think that just because you come down from Abraham, 
If you think that you did a ritual act on your body, and it could be, we can compare it back to Matthew 12, to baptism. If someone goes into a church and is baptized in a baptismal, but they haven't been baptized in the heart, that water and that baptism mean nothing. Now, if you've been born again in your heart, that baptism means everything. Amen? Outward rituals, family pedigrees, whatever you want to talk about, are meaningless in the kingdom of God. There's one kingdom family, Jew and Gentile, and we all come in one way. How are we coming? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves Jew and Gentile alike. So this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, yes, my family's standing outside, and by extension, we could take this to the family of Israel. And let me tell you that I've been to Israel twice. I love the people of Israel. I have a burden that they would be saved. And that's why I said to you a little while ago that let's pray for the salvation of the nation. Because right now it is largely without the Messiah, sadly. And so in verse 47, and we'll move quickly now, this, this spokesman was on the outside and he shared the message. If you have an ESV, verse 47 is not there. Some of you are like, what is going on? My Bible does not have verse 47. That's because the ESV is a faulty translation. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, the ESV left it out because it's not in some of the earliest and best manuscripts. This is what's called a variant reading in your Bible. It's not a big deal. It doesn't touch on any important doctrine. And the verse does appear in Mark 3.32 and Luke 8.21 in the ESV where the parallel uh, stories are told. Everybody with me? So it's just a variant reading. You can see it in your text note. But if some of you are like, where's verse 47? Well, that's the reason. So Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now he answered the spokesperson and I'm not sure if the family heard it or not. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. And he said, look, behold, my mother and my brothers. Can you imagine being in that room? You look over there and there's some dirty fishermen. <laughs> Matthew. There's a tax collector. I'm sorry, Matthew was the tax collector. There's Peter. And there's James and John and Andrew. Probably smell like fish. There's my family. They turn. Some of them had drool on their mouths. <laughs> what? You're sitting there. No, take the people outside. Take the people outside. But here's the deal. God has not called the perfect of the world. He's not called, many of you are not rich or famous when you came. He's taken the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen? He chose 12 ordinary men to be royalty. Now, one of them was a the devil, right? So 11 originally. We won't talk about who the 12th apostle is. That'll take too much time. But my point is this. I want you to look around because you're sitting with royalty. Do you know that you are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Did you know that? Do you know who you are? Do we treat each other in light of who we are? With deference and love? Do you think about those of you who are married that your spouse is the king's son or the king's daughter? 
Do you think about that one day you're going to come before the Lord and give an account for your stewardship? You are. And the good news is that we've been bought with the blood of Jesus. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are part of God's forever family. Look around. You see the diversity in the room? Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter your pedigree or your ethnicity or whatever it may be. We're purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? From every family, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And we will give glory to him. This is the good news of the gospel, and it's a really good time for a hallelujah. I was standing with my Jewish brother yesterday, and I said, even Italians are grafted in. And we kind of got to check a lot of it, because Italians and Jews in the first century might not have been so good. But you know, in Christ, all divisions, all walls, knocked down. Praise the Lord. And When he said it, I wonder if the disciples were a little surprised. Where are his brothers? Sisters? Mother? Family? Yeah. In fact, Jesus will go on to talk about he's not ashamed of his brethren in Hebrews 2. He tasted death for each one of us. Later, in Matthew 25, he will say, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, my brothers, you did it for me. Do you know who the brothers and sisters are of Christ? The church. The way people treat the church is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. Jew and Gentile. The way you treated my family. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When you do it to my people, you do it to me. This is what the family of God is about. We're royalty. It may have shocked Peter and James and John and Matthew, but indeed it was true. Final verse. For whoever, verse 50, Matthew 12. Similar to the uh, invitation in Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor. Whoever of you who are laboring, whosoever believes has eternal life, right? For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister, and mother. Now, Jesus just defined what a kingdom citizen does, not how he's saved, we're saved by grace through faith, but what we do. What is God's will? What's the will of the Father? Clearly implied, whatever Mary and the brothers and sisters were doing, or the brothers were doing, it wasn't the will of the Father. By the way, there's a side note here that a family should be pursuing the will of a father. What do you mean? Because in a biblical family, the man is the head of a family. And the family is supposed to be following him as he follows Christ. Amen? Amen. (laughs) I don't know. Should I say it? I'm right next to my spouse right now. Anyway, I get it. (laughs) But it's there. The one who does the will of my father. What's the will of the father? to believe in the Son? What's the will of the Father to listen to the Son? What's the will of the Father to follow Jesus as your King and your Lord and your Savior? Amen? So what we do as God has done a a work in us being born again of the Holy Spirit is we, we walk out the good works. 
We follow the king. We do the will of the Father. It's an exact repeat of Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. This is what consumes kingdom citizens. And so we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh anymore. That's done. We recognize one another according to the spirit, the new relationships of the kingdom. Would you take a moment? I want you just to maybe attempt an attitude of prayer here. Bow your heart, maybe close your eyes. I I want you to listen to these words in Romans 8, 14 through 17. And then I want to just get, read two closing scriptures and we're done. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We are fellow heirs of the king. Everything that he has is ours. Now, I just want you to just take a moment to let that sink in. Maybe you're going through a tough time right now. Maybe you're under a lot of pressure and confused about world events. Just know, if you're in Christ, the Spirit bears witness, you're adopted into his family, and the world will have its ups and downs. But you're a child of the King. You are royalty. Now, two scriptures I do want you to see is in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, and Revelation 1, 5 and 6. And as we read these together, if the worship team can hear my voice, why don't you guys come on out? First one, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. These are scriptures that I'd love for you to put in your pocket for this week. 1 Peter 2, it's talking about Jesus being a rock of offense, specifically stumbled over by the Jews. And it says, but you, church, 1 Peter 2, 9, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into his marvelous light, the kingdom of light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Revelation 1, final verses. John, introducing the revelation of Jesus Christ, says these words, Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, and all God's people said aloud, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for the last song? Father, thank you for your precious people. Thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you that we can even see in the upper room Mary and Jesus' siblings believing in him. The Holy Spirit came down upon that early church 
They spoke in other languages. They spoke of the marvelous works of God. Oh, Lord, we pray over our world. We pray over, pray over Israel, America, all the nations, that there would be a great awakening. We've been praying for revival for a long time. We pray that you'd even exploit the things that are going on for revival, Lord. Revive our hearts. Bless your people, Lord, with an assurance of who they are in Jesus, that they are royalty. Help us, Lord, to live in the light of these truths, even though they're hard sometimes to even fathom how good you are. And what we have to look forward to is so beautiful. And what we have now is so precious. We thank you for every blessing in Christ. Amen.